You're listening to Mike and Kristen. The podcast. I'm Mike, a musician, writer, and producer. And I'm Kristen, a painter, writer, and designer. Our show is all about following dreams, taking chances, and what life as an artist is really about. Together, we bring you weekly guest interviews and thought-provoking conversations. Let's go! Hey, Kristen. Hello, Michael. How are you today? I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah? Yeah, it's a bit windy, but uh, I... I'm still kind of buzzing from the weekend, so I'm feeling pretty pretty jazzed. Yeah, it was pretty exciting. We are just on the heels of Nova Scotia Music Week 2022 in Sydney, Nova Scotia. And I played a showcase, and we saw a whole bunch of friends, a whole bunch of music, met new people, saw old friends, and capped it all off with winning two awards. Two awards for the town heroes. You were up yeah. for two, and so you, that was a clean sweep. Clean sweep, two for two. Rock recording and entertainer. Entertainer of the year. It's a fun combo, too, because my understanding, at least, is the rock recording would have been voted on by Music Nova Scotia members, Yeah, and entertainer is a public fan vote. Yeah. So you get kind of the best of both worlds there. Yeah, we get the insiders voting on rock recording which you're recognized by your peers which is really really cool to see and then when you have the fan support that's obviously really big to know that you have that many people behind you supporting you it was such a fun way to take in new kinds of music too so we were kind of hopping between venues and each of the showcases are only 30 minutes so you're getting these little sample sizes of each of the new artists that you're going to check out yeah i like short shows like and i also like playing longer ones and taking them in in all different facets but yeah like you said those little short kind of everyone plays their best songs they they plan for their set like it's kind of like a comedian can go up and kill for five minutes, but then if you tell them, okay, do an hour. Like, uh. Yeah, <laughs> so, and you, it was kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure experience, too. You're looking at the schedule and just hopping around. Mapping and, it out, catching who you can. Well, it was it's hard to catch everyone you want to just because there's a lot of conflicting scheduling for sure. in that. But. Oh, yeah. There were tons of amazing bands that we didn't get a chance to see, but... Lots that we did, including today's guest. Today's special guest, Mr. Carlton Stone. He was great. Yeah, I, Carlton did an awesome job. Yeah, we had a blast at his show. He's. I made the comment to one of our friends this weekend that he might be one of the few music, musicians who I would go to their show to hear their storytelling and their singing would be just the icing on the cake. So yeah, he's a good singer too. <laughs> he's an excellent singer, but he's an exceptional storyteller yeah. as well and he just had the, the crowd eating from the palm of his hand. Yeah, he's, and... he just came off a tour with uh, opening for the Crash Test Dummies, and he he uh, definitely showed that he's been out on the road because he, he had the audience dialed in and laughing, crying, all the things you, you want an audience to do. And, yeah, Carlton's an old buddy and uh, just a yeah, great dude, great songwriter, great performer, and was really... Cool to sit down with him and chat and find out what he's been up to over the last while. I really enjoyed getting to know Carlton a little bit better. I know he's someone who's been 
in the music scene for ages, as long as you have. And we've certainly crossed paths many times before, but never have we been able to sit down in this kind of way. So I feel like we've made a new friend again. Yeah. Let's dive in. Carlton Stone, episode 34. Directings where you gotta have your own preamp. Yes. Okay. I'm cool. already confused. <laughs> you don't have to. You don't have to know what we're talking. You guys can geek out for a little while <laughs> yeah. over here. We'll get that going after the podcast. <laughs> so, Carlton Stone, what's going on, buddy? This is it, man. How you doing? Not too bad. You've got a new album out. New compact disc. Yes. Are you getting compact discs actually made? Oh hell yeah! Yeah. yeah. I've been slinging those discs the last couple months. Nice. Yeah. Getting vinyl too? No vinyl. No. We still do the CDs and some people have veered away completely. Like they're like, oh, we're just doing vinyl and digital. But I still, we still sell CDs. Like it's, it is a, it's definitely dying, <laughs> but we definitely have an audience that will, will buy them. And I think- I don't know if some people just buy them to use as coasters or they have a <laughs> car built before 2014, but most people don't have CD players, but yeah, I, I, we still sell them. You do too. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just did all these shows opening for the crash test dummies and yeah, it was yeah. funny kind of seeing we started in St. Louis and then went down to Texas and kind of New Mexico, Arizona, and then up the West coast, but all, yeah, the Midwest, and in Texas, people were buying CDs like left and right, all yeah. cash, nice. no, <laughs> no debit cards, just like, yeah, buying CDs. Old school in all the ways. It was very old school. I was like, yeah, these people still love CDs. So I think after they took the CD players out of cars, that was a real shift. Yeah. People, that's where you listen to tunes. So. <laughs> there was a lot of people that would come up to the merch table and be like, I don't even have a CD player, but I want to support you. And, you know, I think it's just a lot of memento. You sign it and they yeah. want to say hi. 15 or 20 bucks. Like people can, can do that. And yeah, you get the autograph. Out of it. Yeah. I think that's a lot of it too. Drip a little bit of your sweat on yeah. it. So. <laughs> what do you guys find are other top merch sellers aside from CDs? Uh, I only had CDs on this run, but the crash test dummies have like, a mobile store and they have everything from like shirts to hoodies but then they have like do you know the uh tree pick guys it's a guy from cape breton but he lives in calgary now um i can't remember adam chase on i think might be his name okay. um but he makes these like wooden picks but he can also make oh, like yeah, anything yeah. so he made like these wooden lanyards with all the dates on them and like vip they're all numbered and they were like flying oh, off the that's merch nice. table yeah Something just unique. Like, yeah it's just like a one of a kind thing and you it, gotta you gotta be creative in in this world yeah like, and they sold pics like yeah. with crash test dummies on you know so there's so much random stuff well how was that tour tell tell us about it it was awesome man um obviously just great getting on the road post covid and all that yeah. stuff this is like the first real jaunt i had um and yeah i'm sure the same as you grew up listening to the crash test dummies and yeah. and yeah just getting to know them especially brad me and him really got along he's such yeah. a weirdo and 
<laughs> just be like smoking, kindred spirits. Yeah, we just be smoking joints at the end of the night, talking about philosophy or you know whatever bullshit. Looking at on. the stars. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much that. Um, so yeah, no, they were all great and they treated me so good and couldn't believe how many tickets they sell. Like some of the venues were like some were smaller, like more like music halls, like two fifty, three fifty. But then yeah. some places would be like, oh, two thousand people are here. Yeah. You know, so wow. Yeah, it was it was great. So is it a big shift in the energy of a room when there's that volume of people or is it just totally dependent on who shows up? Like there could be 10 people and it's equally as energetic. Hmm. Um, that's a good question. I think it just depends on the crowd. Some of yeah, I guess some of the more like like a quality versus quantity type of thing. Yeah, it kind of depends. And then every night, I love being the opener sometimes because you can actually feel the energy change in a room where it's like, no one knows who I am. No one gives a shit about me. They're just here to see the crash test dummies. And you can kind of feel that when you come out on stage, like who's this nerd with an acoustic guitar? And then as you're playing the set, you can feel when you yeah. okay i've won yeah. them over yeah. by song four it's like i have them and then by the end they're all just like yeah this guy's great we love you carl yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's gonna it's, be hard being an opener for that i hadn't really thought about that like you're really working at winning the audience over and the headliners like no no they're here for me like we're, we're cool yeah and i think i'm always um you know cognizant of the opener's job is to warm up the audience so i try to just do the best job of like getting them laughing, getting them kind of emotionally involved and getting them focused on the stage. And, and, uh, yeah, I love that challenge. It's just like a room full of strangers that are hopefully friends by the end, you know? And you've been playing music since you were how old now? Oh man. Um, I mean, both my parents are kind of like amateur singer songwriters. Yeah. So I even had like little, child-sized guitars and i was like three or four that i'd be like banging around the house you know yeah. with i knew one chord and singing songs to that but then probably really started to like get into it when i was like around 10 or 11 um got then, your first guitar then yeah i think yeah. if you look on my instagram you can see a picture of the first guitar that was mine this uh, I, yeah i think it was probably around 10 cute and was, you still uh, have that yeah it's on my instagram you can go oh i don't have the guitar no i think i traded in i got an acoustic guitar or my parents got me that because they're like you need to learn on acoustic and i was like i want to play electric <laughs> distortion yeah so i think after like six months of the acoustic i was like no I, I traded in for an electric but then uh now acoustic is almost all i play now so <laughs> do you remember the first time you wrote a song i was always kind of coming up with little musical ideas i got in trouble a lot when i was a teenager i'd be grounded a lot so <laughs> be like the weekends is like no internet or no phone and i'd just be like in the basement and making riffs and uh, i was in little bands in like uh end of junior high start a high school where i would like write the music but not the lyrics and so but yeah i never really started writing lyrics until probably beginning a university yeah. but always you know writing music and stuff like that i remember when when my band first started the town heroes like what we weren't even called that at the time we were called holding up grants yeah and i remember i think i don't know if it was myspace or what what some type of internet uh site where you could post your music and, and people could hear it 
And there was a band called, was it Good News? The Good News. The Good News. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember hearing, I think someone from Sydney I knew shared a song. And yeah. it was Red Islands. Yeah. Which you later went to record uh, <laughs> yeah. on your, your first album. Yeah. But I'm like, that song is awesome. Like there, were, And I had no idea who you were, where it was from. But I'm like, I really like that song. And I, how, what was the history of your, your band life? Because obviously you went on to become Carlton Stone, the solo <laughs> singer, songwriter, and playing Port Cities. But uh, uh-huh. y- your early career, I'm assuming you went through a number of bands and <laughs> phases and styles like, uh, like we all do. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't. That was probably like, maybe I was like 21 or something. I was playing with a drummer. Uh, shout out JD Sampson. He's a plumber in Vancouver now for a yeah. long time. And uh, a piano player, Kyle Varley, yeah. who still plays around here. And we would just, you know, make up music. I would have little song ideas and we'd play in my parents' garage. And we probably just practiced and worked on stuff for like a year or a year and a half. Found a bass player and, uh, and then I don't know how it happened from there. Just the, kind of the words started getting out of, hey, this guy's okay. And then I remember Carmen Townsend asked us to open the show like oh, last nice. last minute. It was like a Tuesday night at Daniel's in Sydney. That was like my first real like bar show that you yeah. get paid for or whatever. And it went really good. And we made 60 bucks. I was nice. like, oh, this is awesome. Yes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, then, you know, that band just kind of evolved over the years. You know, people, you know how music is. People leave and have lives and yeah. new people come in. But basically it was that kind of version of the band was the first iteration of what became uh, the good news. And then Carlton Stone drives the big wheel, blah, blah, blah. So, and we were in a battle of the bands yeah, together. Yeah, we both lost. No, <laughs> no, I think we were the last two we were the top two it was holding up grants and and me right yeah yeah you yeah you want we were in two battles of the band yeah i, think. I won you, that you, one you won, you won, won that one. one yeah yeah you won that one <laughs> don't take that away from yeah yeah we both I, lost. No, I was saying, honestly i was i forgot about that one yeah you won that one yeah <laughs> and then there was a one music nova scotia had we were both in it, and we were in the finals. Who won that one? And I remember, I think you had uh, someone playing um, your guitar, not guitar player. What were they? John Hatcher played guitar with me forever. Maybe. Who played, like, pedal steel? Oh, yeah. John Hatcher did that for Wait. a while, too. Did he play his song in the wrong key at the Battle of the Bands once? Oh, maybe. <laughs> I, John? Oh, why do you ask? You? Oh, man. No, I remember. Like, we both played, and I thought we both played really well, but um, we we didn't end up winning, and we were both upset. Who and, won? I think it was um, maybe We're Doomed. We're Doomed. They were... Uh, like um, I remember, heavier. Yeah, I remember them. Uh, yeah, Simon was in that band, I think. Yeah, but yeah, we we I remember us kind of uh, bonding over our uh, grief <laughs> of losing. <laughs> Your doom. <laughs> but that's that's a really really important thing in uh, in the artistic world in the creative world is <laughs> is losing, like because this, so many times like you, you're 
want a certain gig or you want a grant or you're just trying to get on this tour or whatever and it just doesn't happen and persevering through all that is important and obviously from that night you did not decide to quit music and no. go get another job <laughs> you decided to persevere and you're here sitting with us on our couch in my little studio now yes, and my. obviously a lot has happened in between but i think just the ability to keep on going might be the most important trait of being an artist yeah i think that's true i remember at the beginning of covid and you know i was in port cities for six years and bria had left the band kind of not right before covid we had played our last show like the end of december and uh then covid hit and everyone was locked down i just didn't know like what is the music business going to be like mm -hmm. and i remember just thinking like should I go back to law school? Should I like figure this out? And then I remember the first person I saw once the lockdown was uh, my manager, Sherry Jones. And I was yeah. like, is this it? Like, am I done with the music business? Like, blah, blah. And she's like, no, no, you can't be done. You have too much to offer. You've yeah. been doing it this long. And I was like, okay, as long as you believe in me, then I can believe in myself again. Yeah. You know, this is really important for, like I'm listening to both of you because you've been in this game for a long time and you've stuck it out. And obviously there have been highs and lows to your careers or have there's has to have been. And being new in the world of full time artists and entrepreneurship, <laughs> like it's a head trip sometimes. And it's hard not to get caught up in the lows, of course, more yeah. than the highs. And I'd love to hear and, and maybe there's a certain example, but like, how do you keep your headspace in the game and stay positive and focused and not give up? And it's nice mm. to have people in your corner, of course, encouraging you. But at the end of the day, like, it's you that makes the decision to stick with it. Yeah, I, I always think of um, when people talk about, like, reading their own reviews. And it's like, oh, well, if you read your reviews and you believe all the good stuff people say, then you have to believe all the bad stuff people say. So I try yeah. to, like kind of stay in the middle you know it's like obviously when something good happens you get a tour or, you know this gig is sold out or you just get a placement or something you're like yeah you know my life has meaning um but trying not to get too stoked about that so when something bad happens it's a little easier to mm -hmm. brush off try to stay more in that middle zone um just staying we, neutral yeah a little bit like it's good to like celebrate your wins but not also be like, well, everything's amazing now because I have this, you know? Yeah. Mike, do you have any? Well, I kind of always just focus on just the future and what what my goals are. And like, okay, I didn't get what I wanted, but all this time I've always wanted to to get to this point or to just whatever, achieve this. And I, I don't want to let anything get in the way. So it's it's focusing on the objective, I guess, mm. and just not not letting anything deter me from that. Yeah, because but, yeah, the obviously the the things do happen that are are the lows, and I think a lot of people do give up when that when that happens, and maybe that's what you're supposed to do, like. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone like, give up. That's the moral of this podcast. Yeah. If you're in the music business. <laughs> Shut it down now. But everybody, everybody I know who's gone on to achieve things went through really hard moments and hard, hard periods. And they decide I have to keep going. 
And I always say, like, I think talent is maybe about 20% mm-hmm. off what makes an artist. Like, you can't have zero talent and, and get to where you need to go or where you want to go. You have to know how to do something musically or mm-hmm. creatively, whatever whatever the, the, the your vessel of creativity is. Uh, but just sticking with it, believing in yourself and believing that the good things will happen. Mm-hmm. And they often do, or they all, they, for me, they've always done, they, they've always ended up happening because I just stuck with it. But along the way, yeah, definitely there's, there's been <laughs> moments where I, I think a normal person would have said, <laughs> I'm going back to school. <laughs> yeah. No, I think anyone that you talk to at the kind of highest levels of whatever artistic pursuit they're at. Yeah always has one of those moments where I was like, I was just about to quit yeah. at this time. And then I kept going and then the amazing thing happened two yeah. months later or whatever. So yeah, yeah that's like, good advice. And, and yeah. I've heard this in different examples of life. It doesn't have to be in the arts or entrepreneurship, but just that moment where you want to give up on yourself in some way. <laughs> yeah. Like that's the real test. Yeah. <laughs> and then something rises up. So that's, yeah. yeah it's a series it's encouraging. Of, yeah. It's a series of tests we're yeah. going yeah. through. <laughs> <laughs> and only the best can pass it. <laughs> but then on the other hand, like there's so many people trying to be artists, probably more than is, you know, sustainable a lot of the time. And if someone quits the music business, I'm always like, Good for you. <laughs> you know, like go get a job and feed your family and not be so stressed out. And I don't know, not like uh, if it's like one of my favorite songwriters that I'm friends with and they're like, I'm quitting the business. I'd be like, no, maybe not you. Yeah. But I don't know. I always, uh, I'm never too sad when people quit either because then it's like, maybe you weren't supposed to be here. That's why you quit. Yeah. You know? And not everyone's meant to be an artist. No. Like, it's not. And I'm I'm glad for that. I'm glad people want to do all the things that make society run and make us just able to go to the grocery store and pick up uh, some steaks there yeah. that we want. You know, like <laughs> how many people are involved in bringing that steak to uh, to the grocery store? It's like not everyone can sit at home, write a song, or make a painting and make the world go round. Yeah, sure. And you guys, because you have been at it for so long, must ha- see so many changes in the industry. So you talked about post-COVID, like yeah. that would be completely unknown. But what's like the last 10 years look like for you? What changes have you seen the most? Oh, wow. Um, well, obviously streaming. Um, I'm a big fan of music streaming, which a lot of people, uh, I, I well, I, I don't like when people bitch about like, Oh, I'm not making any money on streaming um, because I just think that's a little short-sighted. But that's, yeah, that's probably been the biggest change of the last decade that makes it slightly more unsustainable from a recorded music point of view. Um, what do you think, Mike? Jeez, uh, 10 years. Well, just, I think styles of music have changed. Like, you just there was a pretty big explosion of like EDM for a while. And, Mm -hmm. and that's kind of, well, maybe just in my world, seems like it faded back out a little bit. It did. Yes, I think. (laughs) Um, But that was, that was just, that took over for a while for sure. And 
I'm, I'm here still doing the same thing. I always yeah. do. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, streaming is definitely the biggest one for sure. Like that, that changed the whole model of the music industry. Mm-hmm. And there's people who don't even play live shows and just release songs and somehow get millions and millions of streams and make money off that. Like, mm-hmm. And then you have people like us who like, play as many shows as we can try to reach the audiences out there and it's nice how in the last 10 years that you have the ability to reach someone in idaho or wherever it may be yes just by putting a song online like i'm gonna say 20 years ago is when the biggest change the internet in general has been the biggest change Mm -hmm. and that changed the model completely like, I think for a while, from what I'm told, like, there was a specific plan that every time a band was releasing an album kind of followed. Mm-hmm. Like, release, tour, promote, whatever. It's challenging, but for creative people, it could be a blessing in disguise. Like, who would want the exact same predictable model over and over? Like, every album you put out is just, like, clockwork. Like, maybe that would be nice. It sounds nice. Maybe yeah. being in the middle of this... <laughs> No, you know, unknown zone, but yeah, we're creative. So that's part of our, our thing, our shtick is yeah, that we, we can adapt. Well, and COVID was the time where people had to adapt and mm-hmm. adapt or just fade away and hope people remember you after two years. So yeah, everybody was trying to find ways to stay relevant, whether it's live streaming of concerts or just mm-hmm. putting out more funny videos, whatever it may be. Like, I think the people who stayed active found, well, I know for us, we found new audience members who are now like hardcore fans Mm -hmm. just because we, we tried to put ourselves out there during that. And that's not how everyone approached it. But I think the people who did really put an effort in did make a lot of gains from that. Yeah. Well, you guys are some of the best people I've ever seen do that really as far as locally as far as making these videos that are getting like crazy high engagement that are keeping you at the top of people's minds all the time where because I think you guys are just naturally funny <laughs> like, well it's have a good put hand- out a seance video <laughs> yeah just have a good, good. <laughs> handle on what's gonna connect with people where I think a lot of creatives don't have that you know we're yeah, we're lucky just because we really enjoy doing that anyway. Yeah. And it's has benefited us in times where we put out a video that's that did really well, we we got a lot of social media followers from each one of those. And then it's like, okay, now we have to let these people know that we're not just a sketch comedy site. We also release music because <laughs> we have people comment on like a a post a few months later like oh i didn't know you guys made music yeah 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 (laughs) we do we do that and is that i mean is that a struggle to kind of because the music you guys make is not funny at all yeah you know it's like you're a serious songwriter and you have stuff to say and you take a lot of care and in the work you put out it's uh, and you take a lot of care in the videos too but has that been like Trying to connect those two things. Balancing act for sure. Uh, Yeah. It just always want to try to be able to convert those people into consumers. And I don't want to look at it strictly from a business point. Like, if people are enjoying the funny videos, but don't care about our music, whatever, like, yeah, they're getting something out of it. 
but at the end of the day, like if we're trying to pay our bills and that we, we want to be able to sell albums to these people, sell shirts to them. So we have a pretty big Facebook following, Mm -hmm. but a lot of those people are, would have been people who joined us because of whatever the figure skating video I did, which is amazing, which gained us whatever, 2000 fans on Facebook or something. So in like a day. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So it's, uh, yeah, it's just a challenge in trying to have people take you seriously who don't know what you are in the first place. Mm -hmm. Like first and foremost, like, yeah, we're a songwriter, we're a serious band who writes music and puts their all into it. And people who know that about us, they understand that. But once you release a video where I'm screaming my lungs off, cursing <laughs> in a Cape Breton accent, like <laughs> making fun of drunk uncles, um, yeah, people like, well, they can't be serious. Like they just yeah. don't take you as what you what we really are. So it's kind of just. <laughs> being active enough that we show the different sides of us and hopefully people will latch on to what they like. And It seems a lot of audience members assume that you're very outgoing as well. And Carlton, I don't know if you mm. have this experience where a lot of performers are actually more introverted than you might think. For sure. Yeah. yeah. How do you, yeah. How would you describe yourself in that way? Um, yeah. I'm, I don't think I'm very great at social media um, as far as like the creativity that you guys, uh, come up with, but I think, um, kind of who I am on stage or the way the kind of jokes or the stories I would tell, that's more akin to who I am in real life, but sometimes I can't quite find the way, or maybe I'm just too self-conscious of how am I going to, uh, portray this to the internet or the people that are going to connect to it. I've always found that a little more difficult and i mean in a band with port cities there's three of us and that was like really we put a lot of work into our social media but it was always me and bria so and then you're a band with three people so you're trying to make sure that whatever you're putting out is kind of representing all of you yeah um so i think that's something i've been struggling with now kind of getting back into the solo thing where it's like oh yeah i can kind of do whatever I want or say whatever I want because I don't have to represent the other two people in the band. So I think that's something, you know, now we're not only artists, songwriters, performers, we're content creators. So still trying to wrap my head around the best way to like portray my personality in that content. Is it an an identity shift when you're moving out of a three-piece into a solo artist again? Uh. Yeah, I think so. Just because I've been kind of uh, the majority of my experience on social media over those six years that we were in the band was um, representing all of us, you know? So now it's like kind of getting those shackles away and just be like, hey, if I want to put up a funny video where I talk like a drunk Cape Breton uncle, I can do that yeah. now if I think, <laughs> if I want to or whatever. Yeah. We'd like to see that video. Yeah. <laughs> it's coming later. Stay tuned. Um, but I think that's been one of the big shifts, you know, back to your previous question of like, even the last couple of years, I'm noticing such a difference, um, in how like siloed everyone is in their own interests, um, that it's even harder to kind of cut through that noise. Now, even just 
before COVID started, I noticed like such a huge difference now, um, how everyone's just, there's no kind of monoculture anymore. There's no, you know, you get in Rolling Stone and everyone knows about you or you get on whatever, some big podcast or something like that. It's like, there's, there's no real monoculture anymore. Everyone's just kind of has their own interests, follows their own friends, sees the content they like. So how to break into those little kind of individualized worlds is something we're all trying to figure out. I think, you know, I want to ask about the new album. Yeah. The, the songs from that, are they ones that you've been working on for a while while you were in port cities? And these ones just felt like it was time to put them to tape. Um, there was a couple that were, would have been on the second port cities record. Yeah. Um, that I wrote with Dylan and Bria and sometimes another writer. Um, so there was a couple of those hanging around whenever, when we made our first record or when we were like releasing singles, we always kind of wanted to keep a balance of like, okay, Dylan's going to sing lead on these three songs and I'm going to sing lead on these three and Bria on those, you know, try to keep a balance as far as who's taking the lead. So then when we decided we weren't going to make another record, I just took the ones that were (laughs) going to be me singing lead and kind of put them on mine. And then, yeah, the rest of them wrote a lot during lockdown um, with my girlfriend at the time, uh, Kaylee O'Connor. She's still, we're still great friends and still write songs all the time. But I think she wrote, you know, eight of the 10 songs, me and her together during, during COVID. And, uh, you know, just the stuff that we were all going through as artists of like, what, what is our point in this world right now? And not knowing the uncertainty of the pandemic or what was going to come out on the other side. So some of that is kind of <laughs> interwoven in the song. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's a bit of a, a bit of a grab bag, but just kind of like, let's get a nice, concise 10 song album here to get back out and kind of here I am again, yeah. you know? And co-writing has always been a big thing for you, like having other people involved. Yeah. I love, I love co-writing. Even when I, you know, I'll come up with ideas and I'm always writing lyrics down or, working on stuff but if i come up with something good i'm like oh i can't wait to save this for tomorrow when i'm writing with another writer that i love um because yeah i I don't know i just as soon as i i wrote by myself for years until i discovered co-writing i was like oh this is way more fun (laughs) it's like getting to hang out with your friends and you're bouncing ideas off each other versus like you know i'd be working on a song sometimes for a month or you know get a little piece of this here and this goes with that song. Um, so yeah, as soon as I realized that was a viable option for creating, I was like, yeah, I like this a lot. This might look different every time you're co-writing, but I imagine a song is inspired from a place or experience emotion, something. Mm-hmm. How, like if you're entering a room with someone else, are you hoping that they have that shared experience so they can contribute or does that, not matter. It's like more about the technical um, part of the words. Well, speaking from just myself as a co-writer with other people's ideas, if someone comes in with an idea, there's, as far as the broad strokes, well, you know, I'm 37 years old. I haven't experienced like every emotion in life, but you experience a lot of them in different ways, to different degrees in different situations. So if someone comes in with something that's like, hey, I'm really feeling this today. I can, 
you know, not immediately sometimes, but connect to something in my own life where that emotion was similar that I can draw on to help someone else bring their vision to life. And I think good co-writers kind of do that with me as well or, yeah, you know, but makes sense. the human emotion, that's what people are going to connect with your song on when they listen to it, hopefully um, after it's recorded and released. So I think co-writing with two or three people, you're kind of like, broadening you're all tapping into a similar emotion but you're all broadening what people could connect to from that emotion i've never heard it described that way and that makes perfect sense like the more people that would contribute to that common theme you have your listeners in mind who you also hope will connect with that so yeah, yeah. that's that's a great answer mm, thanks. i feel like i learned something right here like it clicked like yeah yeah, yeah okay there's a lot to learn on mike and chris there is yeah i love what there's a little takeaway do you like writing other styles like poetry or novels or like that kind of whatever it might be but um i really got into when i went to university at cbu um like playwriting and theater was kind of my my focus. So like wrote a couple plays and then was in a bunch of creative writing classes. And I really feel like that was when I started to figure out how to organize my ideas in a way that would be like digestible to a, a normal human, really learned how to like concisely say things, you know? So um, yeah, I don't know if that answers it, but that was kind of when I figured out how to write lyrics in a proper way was through that mm -hmm. writing plays and writing poems there. But I, I don't do much of that anymore. But do you write in a journal? Uh, no, I just have like this giant notes app on my phone that I just mm -hmm. write everything in, you know, whether it's like one or two words or it could be like a line or two. And I just throw it all in there like willy nilly. And then <laughs> when I sit down with someone, I'll just open it up and hey, what are we talking about today or whatever. And what has Nashville meant to you? Because I know you've you spent a lot of time there, both recording and co-writing, and you're bringing this giant digital pad of ideas that you've <laughs> gathered two sessions like that to, yeah. to work with other people. Um, I guess that, like a lot of that, you know, well, Gordy Sampson has been like probably my biggest mentor as far as yeah. you know, taking me under his wing and showing me that whole co-writing world um but yeah kind of saying what i said before in nashville it's like when you have three people in the room that are all kind of filtering what is what the end product is going to be it's going to be like in theory three times more likely that a stranger would connect to what you guys come up with mm -hmm. um so yeah kind of being there and writing with those people and that's just such a known it's in the water in that town. Um, so yeah, I've really taken that kind of with me as a writer, yeah. you know, it's really helping, uh, think about how the listener is going to perceive what, what you guys are coming yeah. up with versus when you're at home by yourself in your room, it's such a individual personal journey. Uh, it's like, I don't know if anyone's going to connect to this. And at a certain point, I don't really care, mm -hmm. you know, when you're just, doing that yeah. but then doing this co-writing in nashville it really kind of puts you in that listener's shoes yeah. be like oh that like that line's not clear enough or who's going to connect to that or this might seem you know um so yeah and nice just to be i imagine in a different physical environment 
like you're surrounded by newness and yeah. other creative people. For yeah, start. it's fun. Um, yeah, I haven't been back there in a, in a minute, but um, is it like a residency or? I, I mean, of course, Nashville's Nashville. We can understand why that would be the place you would choose. But yeah. are you just kind of going down there and finding a cafe to write in, or is oh, there no, no, more no. infrastructure than that? Yeah. yeah. Tell- to explain to uh, our listeners what a typical co-writing session would look like here. Because uh, a lot of people here are like, oh, this song was co-written, but they might not understand what that actually means. Yeah, usually, well, you wouldn't kind of book a trip down unless you had like a schedule filled with co-writes. So okay. that would just be like, you know, like stay with Gordy now. He's at the top of the food chain. So the people he's writing with are like AA list writers that... I can't just be like, hey, Gordy, can you like chuck me on a couple sessions? It's like, no, that doesn't happen. He'd be like, but I have a Thursday night I could write with you. So it's like, okay, there's my, in my schedule, I got Thursday night with Gordy. Okay, perfect. Then people I've written with the last time. Okay, I can write with you on Monday. And okay, I got this person on Tuesday. And you basically schedule your week. And then, yeah, depending on if you have an Airbnb where I have like my studio set up or if you don't have a room, all the publishers. So yeah, the publishers have like writing rooms. Okay. Just go to I know this is all rudimentary information, no, you no, guys, it's... but I really have no idea like how you, how it comes to be. Yeah. So. No. So then, uh, yeah, if you're working with a songwriter who has a publisher, you just go to their publishing office and they might have like eight or 10 little tiny rooms, you know, not much bigger than this or probably the same size. And there's, people across the hall and people in the, you know, through the wall right next to you and everyone's just mm. writing songs. And, cool. and when you get in that room with someone, tell us how that often goes. Yeah. Usually just kind of shoot the shit and just be like, Hey, sometimes you've never met them before. So it's like, Hey, what's up? Where are you from? And just kind of get to know each other a little bit. And then, you know, what do we want to write today? And sometimes we'll be like, I had this idea that, I thought of last night that could be cool. And sometimes you're like, yeah, that sounds great. Let's go with that. Or they're like, a lot of the times the more junior writer in the room is kind of expected to have an idea, you know? Mm -hmm. So in a lot of these cases, I would be the most junior writer in the room. So I'd be open up the notes on my phone and look through, okay, I have this idea called, you know, don't break my heart or whatever the hell it is. And then they'll be like, no, that sucks. Or, oh, I think that's cool. And then you can kind of see their wheels turning. And and in that case, would you own or perform the song? Or did you negotiate on that? It could be any, any version of that. Okay. A lot of the writers there are writing for, like, pitch. So their publisher will know, okay, like, Keith Urban's about to cut a record or Carrie Underwood's about to cut a record. So... Sometimes you go in the room and these writers, some of the writers aren't artists. They're not even singers. Some of them can't even play an instrument. Um, but they're like, okay, I heard Keith Urban's cutting soon. Let's try to write a song for Keith Urban. Okay, what would, you're writing from his point of view and trying to think of what would, and you're not trying to shoot at what he or she did before as an artist. You kind of want to predict, oh, you know, you're not trying to, they don't yeah. want to hear what they already did. So you're trying to see you know, the moving target ahead of them. Um, and then a lot of the times now, like you might get in the room with the artist. Okay. So you're a young artist and what, what do you want to say? Or what are you feeling like today? And then try to tap into that because 
you're probably more likely to get a cut if you're writing with the actual artist, you know? And then I know like going down with port cities, it'd be like the three of us and we get in the room with some like awesome writers and they always want to write for us, you know, because that's a more guaranteed potential song to get a cut because mm. they're writing right with the artist. So, yeah. but then, yeah, sometimes just like pass a song in, don't even have a, have a real plan of what it's going to do. And then, Oh, we really like this. We're going to send this to this artist and they like it. And you know, it's like, there's a, a million ways that it could kind of come about. Cool. Is obviously you have your solo career and you're, you're busy with that. Is writing the co-writing area something you want to keep doing with for for other people? Like trying to just be in that Nashville sphere where you're just creating and getting your royalty checks and maybe a publishing uh, deal. Yeah, like um before Port Cities when I was like when we were both signed to Groundswell, yeah, back in the day, I was probably spending like you know, 65, 70% of my time doing that, doing trips to Nashville, doing trips to LA and, you know, looking up to Gordy and be like, I just want to be a songwriter. His life is so cool. He just stays in the same spot. He's got his family. He's not on the road all the time. And he's got a steady paycheck. And I was like, oh, and then at that time, that was probably like 2013, 2014. And the advent of Spotify and streaming and how songwriters are really kind of left out of that conversation and weren't, making money from that i was looking at that situation be like oh this doesn't seem as viable to me as it was for someone like gordy 10 years before that coming into town when you're still Mm -hmm. making money because people are selling albums and cds and stuff so that was actually one of the reasons why i was like live performance is where i'm gonna make my money that was one of the reasons we started port cities because we're just like yeah, this is where the money is because we're not making money on streaming. So that's why we're like, let's just start a band. We'll make some money like that. Yeah. Um, now that's leveled out a little bit, but I've definitely lost some of that, you know, drive to be like, I just want to be a writer in Nashville. Um, I mean, never say never. It could, you know, in a year from now, it could be like eating these words, but I'm more into right now writing with people writing with artists that I believe in, you know, like Willie Stratton, um, helping kind of other artists locally, um, achieve their vision. That's like more exciting to me and kind of working in whatever genre they're playing in and then helping them produce that and kind of bring that to market. It's more exciting for me. And I do think, um, like Nashville, you really got to play inside the sandbox as far as like, what you can talk about in the song. Yeah. Um, th- oh, they, we'd never say this or we'd never say that. Uh, there's just le- a lot of unwritten rules yeah. that kind of box your creativity and that I'm not as, uh, you know, in a rush to <laughs> go down there right now. And you recently got into producing. Yeah. Working, you were produced Willie's record. Yeah. Did you produce your own record? I did. Yeah. yeah, yeah okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. And how how is working with other artists been going? I love it. Um yeah, it's just exciting to be uh kind of at the ground level with someone and I'd been such a fan of Willie, you know, specifically yeah. for years and we yeah, known each other for probably a decade, but 
always kind of saw him being like, oh, I'm making like a surf record or I'm making this like rockabilly thing. Yeah. Or he, he was always kind of an old country thing and it was never like... Yeah, he's got such a cool edge to Yeah, him. but it was never like consistent. He was all, it was almost like he was always trying on different costumes. And then it was Literally. At, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then at the beginning of uh, COVID, he kind of reached out to me. He's like, hey, I'm ready to kind of make a real record i've you know i'm yeah. done experimenting and, and i was like cool that sounds like mm. something i want to yeah. work with and then being able to kind of go on that journey with him and go through all his songs and you know didn't some of the songs he came in with are like completely untouched arrangements perfect he had them nailed and then some of them we started from scratch and some of them you know um so that was just that's exciting or something to me it just bouncing those ideas around and when you have the two musical minds it yeah. just like because you you feed off each other you say one thing he says oh why don't we try doing that with this on it and then it just grows and grows yes until exactly. you get the final product and from my experience producing it's it's such a communal effort and i if it was just me and everyone else's lips were uh, duct taped together, like <laughs> that record would have a completely different sound at the end. It's building those ideas together. And the producer in my eyes is kind of the catalyst that brings those ideas to life. Yeah. It's like a, you're like the coach or something. Yeah. You're just trying to get everyone like, how can we make this a little bit better? And yeah. Um, and yeah, there's something else I was going to say about that, but I lost it. So well, I like, especially working just to having worked on a, a quite a few records off my own and been in different studios, been around different engineers and producers, like having that knowledge when I'm working with a younger person who doesn't have that experience. Like yeah. you can, you can show them those things that, that you've learned along the way. Yeah. And maybe in a few years, they're going to be producing something, but I like sharing that knowledge because when people shared it with me, I just felt really grateful for that mm -hmm. and being able to, yeah, give that to someone else feels like just the, what you're supposed to do. Yeah. And I think, um, if I had have tried to do this when I was younger than I am now, I would have failed miserably because I'm a pretty like headstrong guy <laughs> a lot of the ways. So mm -hmm. one of the things that I feel like I've taken a lot from working with other artists fulfill their vision is just like patience. And, um, if, if they're telling me, uh, this isn't quite sitting right with me, even if I think it's right, I have to, you can't just be like, well, no, I think it's right. You have to like take a step back and be like, Hmm, okay. I'm looking at this through a different lens and, and I, okay, I see what, you know, you're not, you're serving them. You know, so that's been a nice, um, I don't know, kind of a yin and yang of the whole thing where it's like, I'm getting something out of it too. And not just being like, this is my project. This is my band yeah. or whatever, you know. At the end of the day, the goal is just to make the best product possible. Exactly. And making sure they're happy. Yeah. Make you, them happy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's funny you hear of producers, someone like Rick Rubin, he doesn't play any instruments, yeah. doesn't know anything about technology about mixing and he's one of the top producers in the world because he just has that gut instinct of what works yeah and i i, I couldn't imagine hiring a producer who 
isn't a little bit more hands on. Yeah. But I would love to work with Rick Rubin, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, there's just there's so many different ways someone can bring the best out of someone. Mm, yeah. I well, Rick Rubin's like my Yoda. I just love yeah. everything he does and you know, listen to him in interviews, you're just like you got some special sauce going on. I heard an interview with him recently and his house caught fire. Oh yeah, I and heard his, this. his wife said she woke up like in a panic. The house is on fire, and he said okay, and he went back to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, she went and grabbed their young child and got out, and he went back to bed in then, the burning house. In the burning house, and yeah, he was like two seconds away from dying and end up getting out the window. But... That's maybe a little too zen. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> like she takes care of everything, so I thought it was under yeah. control. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, she'll figure it out. <laughs> but I, want, it... I want to ask both of you, people will often use the term rock star as like this oh kind of comparative of, you know, like, oh, that was, you, that was your rock star moment. It may have nothing to do with music or like this is a room, hotel room fit for a rock star, this yeah. kind of thing. And like, what does it feel? And I think that term is used because we as audience members see you on stage in a moment that would be both terrifying and exhilarating to most people. Mm-hmm. What does it feel like to like be in s- such control of a room full of people that are there for you and you're just in that flow? Mm, I love that shit. Um I think, yeah, playing live was the reason I got into music. That that feeling you're describing right now, it's like, oh, that's so, it's so powerful. Not in like a way you're like exploiting power. It just feels like, oh, this is such a powerful experience that most humans are, you could do this, but they're almost like too scared. Yeah. And then when you see people on stage um, and you're in the audience, you're like, wow, like that, that is a, a powerful role that you're just up here, you know, controlling the energy in this room. So that was like one of the reasons I wanted to be a musician in the yeah, first place. I'm I like, bet. Is yeah. it addictive? Hell yeah. yeah. It's like, I love that shit. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Mike? Well, I think there's times when you get to that point where the audience is feeding off you, you're feeding off them, that energy is reciprocal. And you're just, you're playing your best. You're singing your best. Your notes are just bang on. When you talk to the audience, they all laugh when you want them to laugh. (laughs) Like When you want them to laugh. (laughs) That's a good distinction. (laughs) You don't always want them to laugh. But like sometimes you're just on. And part of that is because the, like, because you could go out and play just amazing or technically amazing, but if the energy isn't there, it doesn't feel right. But when it feels right, you can't really make a mistake. It's, it's weird. Like whatever, whatever I say, like, I know it's going to be the perfect thing to say Mm -hmm. to them at that point in time. Or like, if I'm going to play a solo, I know I'm going to nail it kind of thing. It's just, you're, you're in the zone and that feeling is like, I think it's, we talked uh, recently about just presence and being present. And I think in that state, you're just so in the moment mm-hmm. and connected with everything that's going on around you that I think people would describe that as air quotes, the rock star moment or the rock star feeling. Like, yeah. 
But but we too, as the audience member, share that feeling of presence, and I maybe that's what makes it so powerful too. Is that you know you'll you'll have a lead singer come out and be like, "Hello, Halifax," and people go insane. Like all they said was Halifax. Like they're not giving this big philosophical divine key to life. Like they've just stated where you are standing right now, and that somehow is euphoric. But it's yeah, it's the experience I think for both you and the hundreds, thousands, whatever it might be, people that are in that moment sharing. And especially when you're having these sing-alongs, I'm thinking back to being at a Paul McCartney concert when he Mm -hmm. played in Halifax. And we kind of dug through the crowd and somehow magically landed upon this bare patch of grass fairly close to the front of the stage. And having that moment of, like, you can feel what it's like to have that many people Mm -hmm. singing together. It's almost unlike anything else I've described and maybe it's or that I've experienced sorry and maybe it's because there are that many people but I I also can't imagine what it would be like to be the person that's orchestrating that Mm -hmm. and what a privilege it is for both of you to even have a smidge of what that feeling is like Mm -hmm. like does that does that stay with you does that fuel you or is it kind of fleeting and like the night's over I don't know, Mike, I've seen you kind of buzzing after and maybe it takes a while to come down from that, but. It doesn't, in my experience, like that's with you for a bit for sure. Yeah. Like, there's okay. there's probably like an actual chemical thing that you hold on to, like dopamine and mm-hmm. serotonin and all the actual chemicals that would be released in your brain. And just the kind of, the the, the idea that you're doing what you're supposed to like this is the path i'm supposed to be on and all those you know the it reinforces what you believe in i think Mm -hmm. and uh, i think that when you first start it definitely lasts longer i guess (laughs) yeah like like a good show when you're whatever just getting going like that can hold you over for a good amount of time (laughs) and uh now like i don't know i just think if you're you're a little bit used to it and maybe it wears off a little quicker. How do you feel, Carl? Yeah, like it definitely lasts for like a day. Yeah. Definitely the rest of the night. Yeah. And maybe the next day or the next night. But on the other side of that, like when you have a bad show and it, it doesn't have really anything to do sometimes with what you're doing on stage. You could sing, play, and do everything as good as you did the night before when you were like, hello, Halifax, and everyone went crazy. (laughs) And then, so yeah, I never, kind of back to the thing I said before, like not letting yourself get too high or not letting yourself get too low. It's like, Mike, I'm sure, like how many stupid corporate gigs have we done through the years when you're going to get a big paycheck and you're like, oh yeah, I know I'm getting a big check at the end of the night, but no one gives a shit. And it's just this big soul sucking thing. You're like, right. you know, well, we I, had a recent experience. Like that <laughs> yeah. Both. We did a combined show. Kristen did live painting and I did uh, well, music and there was 500 <laughs> people in a pretty small space with really high ceilings. And for some reason they wouldn't let me use a PA. Oh no. So it was in the, Keith's Brewery, like when you're where going the, the tanks ma- are, yeah, where that's played there before it sucks. So no PA, 500 people drinking and talking, and like 
we were, I was two feet away from people and they couldn't hear. Like, there was no point. Like, they could have just hired. Like, I think yeah. eventually he wasn't even singing lyrics. It was just like, I'm in a brewery. <laughs> yeah. Because it, it didn't matter. Like, we laughed about it after. Yeah, like, you're yeah, saying whatever. it was a great gig. We're grateful for, you know, get the paycheck and yeah. met nice people and so on. But it's, yeah, it's funny that some, yeah. I, I understand sort of that fluctuation <laughs> of yeah. excitement. It's all, the good shows are in my eyes, 100% about energy. Mm-hmm. Like, the energy is in the room. Because you you asked earlier, Kristen, if it's different playing to 10 people or yeah. 10,000. And I say it's it's all about the energy in the room. Mm-hmm. Because if those if you have 10 people who are just into what you're doing and they are focused and they're going along for the ride that you're taking them on, mm-hmm. then that is... You can feel that. But if there was just a thousand people in front of you, just whatever, drinking and not paying attention, like it's, yeah, I can sing the version of my song, the best I've ever done it. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And you feel shitty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny because I never thought about this, but as you're talking about that, I'm thinking of like, oh yeah, what were some of the best shows in my brain? And like some yeah. of the things that pop into my memory, it's like, Oh yeah, like playing with the symphony at the Rebecca Cohen. I'm like, oh yeah, that was like up yeah. there. But then like the next one in my mind is like, oh yeah, that one time we played in like Munich in this little basement and 65 people showed up, but they were like so into it. And I was like, oh, that those are like the first two I thought of, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Or I remember another show I played like years ago with my friend Emily in Hampton, New Brunswick. And we showed up and there was four people there, but those four people stayed the whole night and we ended up hanging out with them after. And then all of a sudden we're like having drinks or something. I hear one of the four people, he's playing guitar and he's playing one of my songs. I was like, what, how do you, you know? And then it's like, I'm still friends with those four people and their energy just sitting right in front of us, even though there was four of them, was like popped into my mind of like, oh, that was a really awesome memorable night even though that's such a good story to highlight because we often talk about the the artist life we're we're looked at as the starving artist and money is such a big part of our our thinking or or so people would assume but that's such a good story of there are many benefits and beautiful moments that we get to experience, be it on tour, because you're you're traveling, you're seeing new places, you're meeting new people. Like, mm-hmm. what are some of the periphery benefits aside from that, from money that we talk about that you think have happened because you're an artist? Oh, well, it was just so nice being back on the road for this run. I forgot how much I missed um, going to random cities meeting new people, but then also going back to cities you've been to before and seeing the returning people. Mm. And it's like, oh yeah, you still, you gave a shit about me two years ago and you still do now. That's like so nice. Um, That And that's always just like satisfying. Well, I don't know. I was just opening too. So like I said, it was like, no one gave a shit about me or knew who I was in a bunch of these places. Then you get to somewhere that you've been before and you're like, I remember you and oh my God, you brought five of your friends. And it's like, oh yeah, okay. That just kind of feeds your soul a little bit, you know? I like returning to a place you've been where you've established, like, I like this restaurant or like this pub or whatever. And they're like, oh, we're going to 
Toronto, we can go to Sneaky D's and get the nachos. You yeah. know, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, have yeah. your little <laughs> your little things you do, and mm-hmm. it's and when you play music, you, you you come across so many places you wouldn't otherwise, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and Toronto's not the best example because that's the biggest city in Canada, and lots of people go there anyway but there's so many like little little cities or little towns that there's no reason for me to have been there otherwise oh my god yeah and you meet awesome people there and you you know where the good pizza is at three in the morning <laughs> or like those those experiences and are kind of for me like the biggest part of of being out on the road for sure yeah. oh my god we were just in uh i was just in red deer which again, there's a place I never would go yeah. unless I was playing music there. Yeah. And it, I think it was only the second time I ever played in Red Deer. And we played at this bar. Um, I'll say the name. It's called Bose. And it's actually, when I walked in, I'm like, this place is so cool. And like right away I met the staff. The staff were all so cool. They treated us so great. And they have a podcast too. They have like people, artists coming through on their podcast. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. And then the crowd showed up and they did not give a fuck. (laughs) It was maybe the worst show of the tour as far as that. But then didn't care. You don't take it personally. It's like these people are standing up right at the stage, ready to see like crash test dummies, like full band rock out kind of thing. But then all of the people that I met there are now like my friends. And we had to stop there on the way back. They're like, oh, stop in, have a meal. And you know, it's like that that's going to stick with me more than remembering that no one really listened to my little acoustic set. It's like, Oh, all these people here are awesome. And we're all friends on Instagram and Facebook and shit now. So I love, I love the randomness of the little moments, you know, they, when you think of a, a tour, you look back on a tour or something, there's just a, it's like a flashback of like a million little moments. Yeah. All trying to piece themselves together. And you kind of, pick and pick the little ones out at the time that kind of show their face the most. But yeah, I find, I find touring is after you've done one and you come back, it's kind of a little bit of a blur. Yeah. But there's uh and then you sleep for a week and a half. For a week, yeah. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's, it's really rewarding just to, to meet those people and have those connections. And especially when people enjoy what you're doing, like, yeah, it doesn't matter to me how many people it is. It's all. It's just getting those little connections, or they find something in your music that maybe you get a message a few weeks later, like this song helped me through this hard time or whatever. And like, yeah, that that means a lot. Yeah, for sure, man. Do you have creative seasons, Carlton? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I'm sure this is like this for a lot of songwriters but the more it's just like a muscle so like when i'm in a kind of mode or i'm writing a lot it's just coming out fast and then obviously you go on tour or you're you know playing a bunch of shows or you're just focused on something else or working on someone else's music where i'm not writing as much and the tap is a little more turned off but yeah i find it's uh kind of builds on itself you know what i mean mm-hmm. As, once it gets going then it gets easier and easier so i'm kind of one of those right now what do you do to kind of keep yourself 
healthy and grounded and present we've talked about? <laughs> um, well, I've been just kind of exercising at home um, the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't like uh, the idea of like going to the gym, like freaks me out. I don't like all that. Throw it up. I don't like all that stuff, but like, you know, have a couple of like free weights at home and like do push ups and stuff. And it was kind of the first time in my life I've really like put, you know, a substantial, substantial amount of time uh, into my own physical health, which mm-hmm. I've, you know, kind of kept me sane during COVID really. Um, yeah. Cause it seems like especially being on tours hard on your body. Oh, and I yeah. find if my body doesn't feel good, my yeah. creative mind also suffers the consequences. So it's always been important to kind of find some harmony there. Yeah. And I, th- now I really prioritize that, um, before even my craft where I just know that's like, yeah, I'm putting two hours to start my day into exercising and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I don't care if I have, really intense deadlines or have to get this done it's like this is the most important thing because then i know my brain and i'll be clear and focused for the next day and a half until i exercise again or whatever so that's been yeah really helpful yeah and and mental health really in 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 our world certainly in the music industry of you know there's there's a lot of folks that have suffered from that or substance abuse Mm -hmm. and so Especially as we get older, these are the kinds of things we have to think about. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Prep ourselves. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, being on being away from what you're used to for an extended period of time is like you. You take when you you're at home, you have a routine. Typically, mm-hmm. like I'm gonna wake up, exercise, write, send a bunch of emails, do this grant writing, whatever. And then when you're away, you take all those variables out, and you're just left to try to figure out who you are in these different spaces. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's probably why there's a lot of, a lot of alcoholism amongst musicians for sure. Just like you're on the road, you get free drinks at bars and you, why not take them? Like, that's kind of the mindset of a lot of people, you know? And I think that, uh, I think people just talking about it more is, is better. This is our plug for uh, riders to include green smoothies. <laughs> yeah. Alkaline you can still, water. still include the, the beer and hard liquor. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, like a couple kids beer in there and uh Yeah, I definitely, definitely drink more when I'm on the road. Um, and like I, I play shows like Dead Sober and that's, you know, I like, I like that too. But, um, Definitely in some of these places where you're getting up to like a quiet theater full of people and you have to blah, blah, blah. It's like, I like having a couple of glasses of wine before I go on sure. stage. Helps with the music part's always fine. But like the in-between part, it's kind of like the same way you would have a drink on a first date where you're just kind of like, oh, it's just kind of... Take the edge off Takes a the edge off. So I do really <laughs> like that. But then it's like... You know, now I'm home in a downtime where it's like, oh no, maybe I'll have drinks like once a week mm-hmm. or something like that. And that's, you know, I like that too. And I sleep better and feel better. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. In your eyes, what is making it, Carlton? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think just doing 
doing the thing in your life that makes you feel fulfilled and happy. And second to that is paying your bills with that. And I've always kind of, you know, for better or for worse, <laughs> always kind of prioritize that. And I think, you know, we were only on this earth for a short amount of time. And I don't want to leave with any regrets of, oh man, I wish I would have done this a little different. Or I wish I would have done that. It's like, yeah. even if I die broke, I'll know that, hey, I, I did exactly what I wanted to do and I didn't let anyone well, you should really have a, a backup plan or you shouldn't, you know? And, and I think that's probably why don't have children or anything either. It's like... But you have a million little amazing moments that, yeah. that happened over time. And I, those experiences to me are the most important thing. And yeah, like how many... You hear about unhappy billionaires all the time, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, it's been really inspiring to see. Well, both of you have have been so committed and dedicated and authentic to your art. And that alone is your contribution. Like that, that's serving others just by showing up for yourselves. It leads by example to living your life in that way. Mm -hmm. So really, it's Thank it's you. amazing that you've both been able to do that and I hope that with your description of what making it it is defined to you that you feel like that is the way that you're living, that you are embodying that. And I think you are. I see that in you. But I feel like that, yeah. you know, again, for better or for worse. Right. It's like sure. no one uh, no one's going to tell me I didn't do exactly what I wanted to or what I was, you know. I don't know. I don't want to say like meant to do or oh, whatever, you but, say that. Like, but you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, I'm, I'm making it what it's, it's meant to be for me, which yeah, gives you've it, been true to yourself. And, yeah. and it's not always an easy thing when your truth is kind of going against the grain of the mainstream. Yeah. I, well, I think when, uh, when I went, graduated high school, I wanted to go to St. Effects to take guitar and my parents took me there and we did the tour and all that. And, you know, and then they kind of like, well, you know, if you stayed at home, like, what are you going to do with a music degree? And you could stay here and go to CBU. And I was like, okay. So I did that. It was kind of like, okay, as I'm writing songs and playing shows, and then you get your Bachelor of Arts and they're like, okay, what are you going to do with an arts degree? It's like, well, I guess I'll, I'll get a BED, I guess. And Okay. And I'm still like playing shows and releasing. And then by the time I'm done my BED, I think I substituted for one year and then went on tour and never taught again. So it's like, mm. but I kind of like tick that box at least to make my parents happy that by the time I was done that and they saw, you know, in kind of running parallel was me, the beginning of my music career. And, you know, they've been so supportive, but, and I did what they, you know, were kind of asking, but then you know, they had no qualms about me kind of living my truth from there. You, well, know? You, you found your path. And maybe if you went to St. of X and took music, you wouldn't be I, here. I, right? I could have died in a ditch. Or yeah. It was like, I was not mature enough at all to, to yeah. be doing music then, you know? And yeah, you, you, you made your connections in Sydney, your first bands, like all the, yeah. all the things that brought you to be you or yeah, the, they had to happen that way. Yeah. So I, uh, I'm sure everyone has like regrets in their life, but I don't have uh, too many when it comes to mm. 
the path that I find myself on. So, well, we're sure glad that your path brought uh, you to <laughs> us right here. Uh, to be in our space and get to chat. This is awesome. Uh, Great chat with y'all. We're uh, tell people where they can find you online and your your new album. Yeah, any shows coming up? Uh, yes, uh, have shows in Halifax, in Charlottetown, Truro, I think in Sydney, all in December. And you can find it on my website, carltonstone.com. And all the other places you think I should be on the internet, I am there. MySpace. MySpace. <laughs> Check out my MySpace. Um, and yeah, that's just, you can you can find me. Beauty. It's easy. Check out the new compact disc. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> well, awesome to have you. And, yeah, congratulations. Uh, we got a great chat with you guys. Best of best. luck with everything, man. And let's uh, let's talk about some gear now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go you can leave the cat, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>well that was fun yeah yeah it was uh always great to catch up with with friends and i haven't talked to carlton in in a few years and pandemic obviously and before that just didn't cross paths with him for for a little while so really nice to just catch up and just share his energy you know he talked a lot about his songwriting process specifically with co-writing so it would be fun to see the two of you come up with something creative yeah together. yeah we chatted briefly about it there and we'll we'll likely do it at some point so we'll we'll see see where the wind takes us we've got a lot on the go until we start scheduling in new projects i suppose yeah what, what do you have happening Kristen harrington i am in the midst of an online art show and auction so that's going to be open to the public tomorrow and the pickup date for the items that you might win in the auction is November 20th. That's a Sunday. And I'm also going to be doing a little bit of an art show open house here at 210 Windsor Drive. Where can they find your online auction? I'll post the link on my Facebook and Instagram. And uh, you just click on that, register with an email, and it uh, reveals all the goodies I've got. Awesome. Yeah. How about you? Uh, we got a big show coming up at the Marquee, December 2nd, with uh, two great bands on the bill with, with us, us being the town heroes. So Daniel James McFadden and George Woodhouse in the public service. Great dudes. We had George on as a guest, and we're going to have Daniel on as a guest. So, And these are also two other musicians we had the opportunity to see over the weekend at yeah. Music Week perform. They both did awesome. Yeah, they both killed it. Very proud of them. So yeah, December 2nd, you get your tickets. We'll put a link in our uh, description there. And yeah, lots of lots of writing, lots of uh, planning. Going to do a, a Christmas video, like a... Christmas movie ultimately like it's gonna be like an hour long wow. with the town heroes town heroes music uh, skits it'll be very serious then yeah very serious very stone face watching be a lot of fun uh, and that's gonna be available for purchase so we didn't even start it yet so uh, <laughs> <laughs> sounds cool so I believe it's gonna come to fruition I believe in magic yeah, Christmas magic oh good um Okay. Uh, so anyway, yeah, we got lots on the go, and we are excited about it all. 
shoot us a message, get in touch. Thanks for the support, buds. And uh, tell tell your friends about this if you enjoy it. That's the best way to get word out. Sounds great. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Have a great week. Cheers. <laughs>